Throughout the course of uh, December, we've been in a series called Come Home for Christmas. And we've been telling coming home stories from the Bible. Uh, Stories about coming home to hope. What's it mean to come home to faith? What's it mean to come home to peace? What's it mean to come home to joy? For the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about what it means to come home to love. Love is complicated. It's not like the Hallmark Channel movies. A word just to guys. Have you noticed the theme is always the same? There's a beautiful woman that's in a snowstorm that gets stuck on the side of the road. Her car's in a ditch. The snow is so great that the roads are shutting down in and out of town. The town is not just any town, it's an idyllic town. No trash. There's a handsome young man that just happens to be driving by. He's there to pick her up. They meet eyes. There's a spark. Over the next few days, while the town is completely shut off by the snow, they fall in love. But wait. The young man's girlfriend from childhood should not have been back that weekend, but she comes back. And though she blew him off for years, now she realizes, now that there's another love interest, I may like this guy. But alas, love will win down. And they lived happily ever after. (laughs) Some of you ladies, amen. Yes. That's as it should be. Yes. Why is love complicated? Um, I don't know. Some of us don't do very good expressing love. For example, some of you tonight or tomorrow will open up a gift and you will have to plaster a smile on your face Because you'll be like, what is it? And why did you think I would like it? But you won't say that, though you're thinking it. You will say, I love it. Some of us are just not good gift givers. I remember the time early on in our marriage where I bought Holly for Christmas a vacuum cleaner. It's true. Never did that again. This year, I bought her car mats. Some of us have a hard time receiving love. Uh, you have a love deficit. I don't know why. Maybe you came from a fractured family. Maybe you came from a family where home wasn't a safe place. I think home for most people is a warm hug from a cold world. You come home and you kick off your shoes. It's a place of safety, security, and rest. But it's not that way for everybody. Because for some of you, home was rough. 
and you grew up with a love deficit. So not only may you not know how to express love, but you may have a hard time receiving love. Now, love may be complicated for us, but it's not complicated for God. In 14 words, we get the entire Christmas message out of John's Gospel, chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That's Christmas. So for the next few moments, I want to tell you two stories about what it means to come home to God's love. The first is from Brazil. True story. The second is from the Bible. A parable that Jesus told. The reason why these two stories are important is because they show us both sides of God's unconditional love and what it means to come home to love. The house is very small but adequate. Its red tile roofs were exactly like the same as the other hundreds and hundreds of red tile roofs in a rundown area of a small town outside of Rio de Janeiro. Maria and Christina lived there. Maria the mom, Christina the little girl. When Christina was very young, her dad died. And Maria committed herself to raising her daughter the best that she knew how. And so for the next several years, Maria would work as a maid, and she didn't make great money at all. She was still living in poverty, but it was enough to put clothes on their bodies and food in their bellies. Years went by. Christina grew up to be a beautiful young teenager. She had one of these infectious smiles, and she had a charismatic personality. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. This young lady goes into the room, and the way she flips her hair and just laughs, and everybody turns and looks, and all the guys go, wow. And she had this kind of way about her that she made you feel like you were the only person she was interested in. She made you feel like a king. But Christina had dreams. She didn't want to stay in that really poverty-stricken area. She dreamed of going to the big city. It terrified her mom. Because Christina didn't have any skills, and she would always remind Christina that if you go to the big city, nobody will know who you are, and what will you do for work? Well, Maria knew what she would have to do to survive in the big city. And so it broke her heart when one day she woke up in their very plain, simple home and Christina was gone. Maria flew into action. She stuffed some clothes in her bag and put a few morsels of food and wrapped it up and headed to the bus station. But before she got to the bus station, she stopped by the drugstore. And that drugstore had this simple little picture area. You know what it is, the booth. You get in it and you snap all these pictures. They're black and white. And she just put out as much money as she could afford to do that. And she got hundreds of pictures of herself 
black and white, stuffed them in her purse, got on the bus to go to Rio de Janeiro. When she got there, she knew exactly what to do. She was going to go to all the places, the bars, the hotels, all the places where streetwalkers and prostitutes would go, and her thought was that she was just going to take pictures and tack them up everywhere along the way. By the bar, the hotel bulletin board, the side of a telephone pole. And it wasn't very long before these hundreds of little pictures of herself that she had written a little note on the back of it were gone. It broke her heart to get back on the bus to go back to her poverty-stricken town because she knew that her daughter is like so many people who think they know what they're doing when they run away. You know what it's like when stubbornness meets desperation? You end up doing things that you never thought you would end up doing. The weeks go by. One day, Christina, the daughter, descends from a hotel room down into the lobby, but there's no more sparkle in her eye. She looks worn. The few months that she's been in the city has not turned out the way she thought it would turn out. And she never thought she'd think like this, but she longed for the poverty-stricken, simple home she grew up in. But that home felt so far away. She descended down in the lobby. Something caught her attention. She turned, saw a picture of her mom. Couldn't believe it. Walks over, looks at her mom, pulls it off, turns it over to the back, and reads these words. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Just come home. And she did. There was a young man who grew up on a farm. He was the younger of two sons. He was an arrogant young man. He was used to hard work, but it was laborious on the farm, same old thing, day after day after day. And he longed for the big city. So he decided that one day he was going to go to his dad and say, Dad, I've had enough of the farm life. Maybe this is okay for you, but I want some excitement in my life. I want to go. And the only way I know how to do that is to get my inheritance from you. So I want my part of the inheritance. Now, in that culture, that was the same as saying, Dad, I don't care if you're dead or alive. I want what I have coming to you, and I'm not willing to wait. Unbelievably, the father grants the son's request. And he draws up the paper, and he gives the son one-third of the entire estate. Because back in those days, if you were the elder son, you would get two-thirds. And the younger children, the younger sons, they would just all divide it up. But if you have two sons, it's two-thirds for the elder, one-third for the younger. And so the young man takes his inheritance and heads off to Philadelphia. He gets there, and he doesn't want to eat at Reading Terminal Market. 
He wants to eat a fogo de chao. He doesn't want to stay in the Motel 6 at Roosevelt Boulevard. He wants to stay at the Ritz-Carlton at $300 a night. Actually, Jesus says, with economy of words, he squandered his wealth on wild living. We're meant to use our imaginations and think, what does that mean, wild living? And Jesus really means it to, well, what's it mean to you? Because it may mean something different to you than it means to somebody else. But he spent it on wild living. And then, of course, just when the money ran out, a famine hit the land. Now, back in that time, it was an agricultural society, which meant that it was the same as a depression hit. No work, no money. Everybody's hurting. And the young man couldn't find any work for a really long time. Finally, he finds work on a pig farm. Oh, the irony. It's still a farm. But this is the pig farm. And the Bible says that he was so hungry, he was so desperate, that he longed to fill his stomach with what the pigs ate. Now, I've got to tell you that when I was growing up, my grandmother and grandfather raised pigs. And we would go over there every Sunday afternoon, and one of the jobs that I had was to take the meal from Sunday afternoon and take it out to the pig pen and, you know, just, we call it slop, just kind of throw the slop into the pig pen. And I cannot tell you the very unique smell. That kind of putrid disgusting. I used to take little banana peels and try to throw them and hit the pigs and just kind of like, like lay over the pigs, you know, that kind of stuff. But he longed to fill his stomach with what the pigs ate. And then the Bible simply says he came to his senses. What does that mean? It's like he woke up into reality. And he realized that even the servants from his dad's farm had three square meals a day. And what was he doing on the pig farm, barely surviving? And so he made a decision. He said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to humbly tell my dad that I'm not worthy any longer to be called his son, that I'm just going to ask to become a servant. And so the whole way home, remember, he was in a far off land. So the whole way home, he's walking for weeks and he's you know, going this speech over his mind over and over and over. And as soon as he can get the words out when he sees dad, he's going to spit them out. But then something unexpected happens. Jesus telling the parable says, while the man, the young man, was very far off, the father saw the son and ran to him and embraced him. And as the son began to say, Father, I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. I want to be a a, a servant in your household. The father basically shut it down and turned to the other servants and said, Get the beautiful robe. Get the signet ring. You You know what the meaning of the signet ring is? The signet ring is, I can do business again. And Get the sandals, because slaves and servants back in those days, they they, they didn't wear shoes. The sandals were only reserved for the family. For he says, this son of mine was dead. 
but now he is alive. Oh, get the fatted calf that we've been fattening up. Almost like in anticipation, the father's been waiting, 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 waiting. Keep feeding that cow. Fattening it up. Two stories. They're meant to be flipped. Two sides of the same coin. Because they really illustrate God's unconditional love. The first is, God is waiting for you to come home to his love. Some of you have been doing your own thing for a long time. You've just been living life the way you think you want to live it, and you are the boss of your own you know, life, and you're just doing your, your thing. But somewhere along the way, you began to realize that the choices that you've been making really haven't turned out the way you thought that they would turn out. And all of your selfishness and all of your self-focus has really brought you to a place of realizing, I'm actually not living. And your sins have accumulated to the point where they become stifling. You need to know this, that God misses you. And he's longing for you to come home. God is not mad at you. He is not angry with you. You know how some parents go, so, young man, what have you been up to? God's not like that. God just wants you to to come home. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Just come home. On the other side, God doesn't wait for you to come home. He runs out to come and get you. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. God's love is proactive. God doesn't really wait for you. God makes the first move. And for some of you, God has been tapping on your shoulder for a while now, saying, hey, I miss you. It's the conviction or the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. So, what does it mean to come home to you this Christmas? Let me just give you three thoughts. The first is, coming home to God's love may simply mean coming home to salvation. The Bible says that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Maybe you're not a religious person. Maybe you're here tonight because your wife guilted you into coming. You told your mom you'd come, but you're really not that interested. Or you haven't been until this moment. But this thing about God's love and salvation may have sparked something inside of you. Let me just tell you, you're not here by accident. God knew that you would be here, and God is reaching out to you, tapping you on the shoulder, saying, isn't it about time you came home? Coming home to God's love may also mean coming home to safety and security. In the book of Revelation, there is a vision of the Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John gives this vision of 
Jesus speaking to a particular church, the Ephesian church, and he says, I have this against you. You have lost your first love. And what that means is, is that there's a lot of people who once had a dynamic relationship with the Lord, but they've drifted. They've cooled off. You know, I've noticed through the years that there's a lot of people that drift away from not just the Lord, but they drift away from the church. Sociologists have picked up on this idea. It's called the nuns and the duns. The duns are a group of people who basically have walked away from church, organized institutional church, and have walked away from the faith more or less and just said, I'm just going to do my own thing. Tonight, the Holy Spirit may be tugging on your heart and God may be saying to you, why are you doing that? The church, for all of its faults, Christians, for all of our faults, we're still the best thing going. Can you imagine if God walked away from you? I'm done with you. We wouldn't want that. And for some of you, you may be dancing on the edges. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you're not an outright sin, but you're pretty close. And you have people in your life saying, hey, what are you doing? You didn't used to. And you can come up with all kinds of reasons, but you know you're dancing on the edges. And you used to be a lot closer to Jesus. For you this Christmas, it may be making a decision to say, you know what? Why am I out there on the edge of the farm when I could be in the house enjoying a closer fellowship with the Father? One more thing. Coming home to God's love may mean coming home to mercy. In both of these stories, they're about family relationships. Love in families is complicated. There's a lot of fractured families. Somebody's not talking to somebody. This sibling's not talking to that sibling. This mom's not talking to this daughter or son, and vice versa. There's just a lot of family fracture. And as far as it's up to you, this Christmas, you may need to come home to God's mercy and say, you know those difficult people that make my life complicated and they're complicated to love? I'm going to reach out to them. Now, why would I say that? Because of the elder brother. You know what should have happened when the younger son came home? The elder brother should have been standing next to the father saying, we've been waiting for you. But instead, the elder brother says, what, the, what is this party about? And he wouldn't forgive his brother. So for some of you, this Christmas may be about extending Mercy and forgiveness to people who frankly don't deserve it. You know why? Because we don't deserve it either. So here's what's going to happen. The worship team is going to come back up. They're going to sing a song about God's restless love. And then I'm going to come back up just for a second and I'm going to give an invitation, a response. Maybe... God has been speaking to you over these last few moments about some decisions that you need to make about coming home this Christmas that will change the rest of your life.
no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, it doesn't matter. Just come home. Does that sound appealing to you this evening about coming home to God's love? If it is, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads together and just repeat a simple prayer after me. Dear God, I want to come home. I'm a sinner, which means I've done my own thing. And it hasn't worked out the way I thought it would. But now I humbly return to you like the prodigal son, like the young lady, Christina, and I'm making my way back home to you. Please forgive me of everything I've ever done that has been sinful. I now open up my life to you. I receive you, Lord Jesus, into my life. And from this moment on, I'm dedicating myself to be your follower. I do not know what that means. But I know that because you love me, you'll always have my best interest. Now for some of you who are really struggling with a difficult person in your life who you find yourself internally ranting against. I want to challenge you to come home to mercy. And if you're open to that idea, then repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, you know this person. They have hurt me and mine so greatly. I do not like them. I do not want to extend mercy to them. But because of your extravagant love, I release them. I let them go. I'm no longer going to punish them in my head or with my voice. I'm going to leave them to you. Because that's what you did for me. I'm coming home to your love right now. Amen.